You ever felt like that? Just going to step out on faith and you feel like nothing's there and boom, it is. That's kind of the way I think Sarah in the Old Testament must have felt and Abraham, her husband, uh, at the point that we're going to pick up the story because they were asked to take something on faith that was very difficult to believe for them. I want to take you into this. And for those of you um, visiting with us, we're doing this, this series on different people in the Bible who have, who have great people, like the example today, who have missed the point. And today we're going to see that with both Sarah and Abram, Abraham. And I want to get you into this story because these really are two incredible people. And, uh, and, and, and I want to emphasize that just for a moment because you're going to see some, some pretty unincredible things take place in their lives here in just a moment. And uh, these were very righteous people. But you're going to see some pretty unrighteous stuff take place in their lives as well. So I want to emphasize that as we get started on this because this is a, this is a great narrative in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And uh, it's about faith. It's about taking a step of faith. It's about who God is. It's about looking for a sign. All those things we've been talking about this morning or singing about and seeing. And we're going to pick up the narrative in Genesis chapter 12, which is the promise that God is going to make to, at this point, his name is Abram. Later on, this happens in the Old Testament all the time, and there's some Hebrew stuff going on here. We're not going to worry about that this morning. Uh, But God will change the name of a person, usually with the same root name, like Abram is going to become Abraham, Sarai is going to become Sarah, and so forth. And uh, there's significance to that, which, um, which is later on in the narrative. We're not going to deal with it right now. But in Genesis chapter 12, this, this promise comes to Abram, okay? This is some pretty amazing stuff. And this is, this is some heavy stuff, too. There's a little bit of a, well, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a little bit of a battleground. I'll tell you when we get to it in just a moment. But in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord told Abram, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, And go to the land that I will show you, which is going to be the land of Canaan, which is going to be what we now know as modern Israel. He's coming out of the Persian Gulf area, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 500 miles away, which doesn't sound like that's that much right now. But when you start having a whole caravan of people and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, animals and camels and so forth, that's a long way. And there's a lot of traveling. So, to the land that I will show you, verse 2, I will cause you, watch this now, I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And I will make you a blessing to others. Watch this, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, how are all the families of the earth going to be blessed through him? Well, for one thing, he is going to, his, one of his ancestors will be Jesus. Jesus was, was obviously born of a Jew, you know, born, born a Jew. And Abraham's the father, is going to become the father of the Jewish nation. Um, and it's hard for him to understand this at this point, but that promise is made. By the way, one of the battleground areas, just um, kind of a side note, but not totally, in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. A couple of things here. First of all, some of us believe, there's two sides to this, it's a bit of a theological battleground, but today's your lucky day and you're going to hear the truth. And um, uh, <laughs> that is so arrogant, I realize, and please forgive me. But anyway, uh, um, it is somewhat of a theological battleground because some people say, well, what God, what God is saying here is I will bless 
the nation of Israel as long as they are believers in God and the Messiah, which is not at all what he's saying. He's, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who come from you, and I'm going to, you know, bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. That's unconditional. That's unconditional. Because what some people would say, and I I don't agree with this, but some people would say, that doesn't mean Israel today, because Israel today is something like, according to their figures, 85 or 90% of them, even though they celebrate Shabbat and celebrate some of the high holy days, Sabbath, Shabbat, and so forth, even though they they celebrate that, um, Israel's own statistics, something like 85 or 90% agnostic. So you don't have a lot. I mean, there are, there are obviously groups and so forth and sects of, of fundamental, fundamentalist Jewish uh, people and some reformed and some this and some that. But a large percentage of, of Israel, the country today, um, according to the, all the uh, up-to-date statistics, is a large, is large percentage of it is people who say they are agnostic. So people will say, well, that doesn't mean modern Israel. And my point, and I think you've got you to just take it for what it says, God is saying, leave your country. I'm going to break a great nation of you, and I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And you look at history, look at history, and you see it every time. Uh, whatever your political views are, I don't really care. I'm, I'm a bit of a Zionist, and I will admit that. But, but um, whatever your political views are, look at his, the history of Israel, and look how God has preserved that nation and that people in spite of incredible odds. I mean, just the the 1967 seven-day war, my gosh. All the Arab nations are against them. They're all against them. In seven days, Israel conquers them. Just some miraculous stuff. It's 1967. That wasn't that long ago. Well, some of you it was. But anyway, it's hard for me to believe that some of you weren't even born yet. But anyway, it was just amazing stuff. So my, my point is this. I believe it's just what it, I take it for just what it says. I believe those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And throughout history, we've seen that. Now, just think about that. You don't have to agree with that. And it, didn't, it you know, doesn't matter if you do or you don't. But just keep, I want you to see this promise. This promise is reiterated a few more times. I'm going to show you another time that it's promised in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and told him, look up into the heavens, count the stars if you can, your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord declared him righteous. Why? Because of his faith. This is a passage that is repeated a couple of different times in the New Testament. And, And here's... Just another little theological thing that you need to know. Whether we're talking Old Testament, whether we're talking New Testament, people come to God by faith. There's no works. It's never been a works-oriented thing. And whenever you hear that, it's just wrong. They come by faith. In just a moment, it's going to be a few years later in the text, but in just a moment for our purposes, you're going to see Abram and Sarai participate in some things that are pretty wrong and pretty immoral. But that doesn't change the fact that they were righteous because of their faith. doesn't mean they always made the right decisions or did the right things. Now, watch this. Here we go. God has promised Abram and Sarai that the whole, you know, there's going to be a whole nation of people that's going to come from their son. Okay? Still haven't had a son. They're past middle age. 
all right? And, and things are not looking good for Sarah in terms of having a baby, okay? Um, she, at this point in time, has not had a baby. Doesn't look like she can. Uh, the old, the uh, biblical word is barren, whatever word you want to use. She just can't have a baby. And, of course, in those, in those days, in that custom, that was not a good thing. That was, uh, to some degree, a woman's worth. I didn't say it was the right thing, but that was how they looked at it. And um, so she's not too happy about that, and she wants to figure out, how can I make this thing happen? There's nothing I can do. Don't have a fertility doctor. Nothing I can do. You know? Uh, don't have, you know, artificial whatever. So here we go. <laughs> Genesis chapter 16. We see it, it's a few more years down the road, probably 10, something like that, 15. It's, 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 it's somewhere in that. We're going to see some of that uh, referred to, but uh, it's even more than that. Chapter 16, verse 1. But Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarai took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children, Sarai said to Abram. Go and sleep with my servant. And Abram said, okay. No, no. Um, that's pretty much what he did. <laughs> that's pretty much what he did. Uh, you keep reading here. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed. Couldn't put up much, at least put up an argument, Abram, you know. Um, verse 3, so, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abram as a, as a wife. This, this happened 10 years after Abram first arrived in the land of Canaan. It had been another five years or so getting there, maybe 10. This was not, I know you look at this and you're thinking, this is some really freaky deaky stuff. I mean, this, he's like, he's like, here. She's like, take my, take my, you know, in our terminology, take my personal assistant. Maybe she can give you a baby, you know? Um, and yet in those, in that custom, you got to understand the customs, okay? And it doesn't make it right. But it was very customary if a woman could not have a baby to have one of the slaves that she would own have the children for her with her husband. It was very custom. That was part of the custom. It was never right. God never said it was okay, but they did. And, and here's, here's what I want you to think on this. Just, this, is, this is just to kind of help you think through this. When you look back upon great generations and civilizations, sometimes you see things that you look at and you think, how could people who had a love for God and a care for God, do some of the things they did. I mean, as an example would be, and, and if you lived, I've been reading some things, uh, a new book for Father's Day on the Founding Fathers, and those of you who know me know I read this stuff, I love this stuff. And it was talking about some of their Founding Fathers' view of slavery. And I, I was just thinking about it, if you'd lived 150 years ago, I'll just make this statement, it'll kind of shock you a little bit. If you had lived 150 years ago, most of you in here, um, who are white, you would most likely have owned one, at least one or more slaves if you had lived in this country, not just in the South, um, because that was the custom. Now, there were a few. John Adams never went for that. Um, there was only one founding father, just on a side note, there was only one founding father. They all spoke against slavery. There was only one who did something about it. That was George Washington, who was the only founding father to set his slaves free at, at, upon, at, upon his death. And there was a reason why he had to wait till then, and it was for their sake, not for his sake, because he, he knew all along. In slave. My, my point is this. You look back on some of these things, and we were, we were in, uh, my son lives in, and his family live in Birmingham. We were down to see them this, this week. My wife's still there. And uh, we were, went on down to Gulf Shores, which is the Alabama coastline, and we were talking about going through southern Alabama, which is, I mean, it's, 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 it's a different world in southern Alabama, let me just tell you. And... Uh, 
We were, I was talking about, I, we were just talking about this. My wife was, was in Birmingham during all the civil rights stuff. And you look back on people who, who claim to be Christians and some of the bigotry that we had. I, I can remember, I was, I was raised in Ohio, so we didn't have a lot of stuff that happened up there. But I remember when we took a trip through the South, and I remember as a 12-year-old seeing bathrooms colored white. I remember that. I was shocked at the time. But you look back on some of those things and some of those customs, people accept, they become conditioned. It's, ne- it's never right. But people accept things sometimes under certain conditions that they don't think through. Thus, thus, that was the case here, too. They've accepted something that was never right. It was never God's plan. It was never okay. But it was part of life. It happened. Now, here's an exercise for you. And I talk about this all the time. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a fun discussion to have. What will people say 150 years from now when they look back on our generation? What will they say about us? How could those people who loved people and had a heart for God and were good Christian people, quote unquote, how could they have done some of the things that they did? I wonder what that would be. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, maybe it'd be material. Maybe they'll look back and they'll say, those were some of the most materialistic people on the face of it. They'd have two or three homes. You know, who knows? I don't know what, what will be said because we've become conditioned to our world as well. And who knows that maybe we've accepted some things that we shouldn't. Think through that. that you, you, that's your homework assignment. Just think through that. That's what's going on here with Sarai and Abram. This is something that we look at it and we're like, oh, that is disgusting. It was very normal in that particular time for this kind of thing to happen. It was not right. It was wrong, but it happened, okay? And I want you to see that. It's important for us to see that. Now, now, we, now we, where are we? I forgot where I was. Okay, let's go to verse 4. All right, let's go to verse 4. So Abram slept with Hagar. She became pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat, what, this is an interesting thing. She began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, it's all your fault. <laughs> I love that. I just love, it was her idea, and it's all his fault. Is that ring, does that ring a bell with anybody in here? Uh, sorry. I just Anyway, my wife's not here, so I can just act up here. But, um, but she'll listen to the CD. Um, anyway, then Sarah said to Abram, Abram, it's all your fault. Now the servant of mine is pregnant, and she despises me, though I myself gave her the privilege of sleeping with you. She thought highly of him. The Lord will make you pay for doing this to me. We got a lot of stuff going on here. None of it is good. Now watch what happens. We can skip down to chapter 16 of Genesis. The angel, this is significant, I'll come back to this. The angel of the Lord, hang on to that phrase, found Hagar beside the desert spring. She'd ran away along the road to Shur. And the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard about your misery. This son of yours will be a wild one, free and untamed as a wild donkey. He will be against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. That's a prophetical statement. It's not a statement of character. It's a prophetical statement. And who is Ishmael? Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. Is this ringing a bell with you here? Arab Israelis. Arab Israelis. It started right here. Now, before you start getting bigoted and say, well, see, those, those Arabs should never have been on earth and they're, they're this and they're this. Before you start going there, keep in mind back in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. To, to, he valued. Who's, who's the angel of the Lord? This is what we call a theophany. A theophany is a pre-incarnate view of Jesus. This is Jesus, God, 
appearing to Hagar, saying, hey, I hear your troubles. I hear your sorrow. There's going to be another great nation that will come from you, from your son, Ishmael. And by the way, there's going to be a lot of conflict. I mean, he's warning us what's going to happen. Now, somebody said to me after the first service, and I think this is important, and I don't want to get into this too deeply because this, this is a discussion that could go on and on and on. Somebody says, so the, are the Arabs cursed because they go against Israel? And I would say to you, anybody, I believe, if I understand chapter 12 correctly, according to my understanding of chapter 12, anyone who would go against Israel will be cursed. So that's a choice. So if the Arabs laid down their arms and they made peace with Israel and Israel made peace with with the Arabs both ways, does that mean the Arabs are a cursed people? I don't think that's in the text. I don't think you can say that uh, from, from this text because God himself valued Hagar enough to go visit her to comfort her. So be careful with that. And, and some people go to this and they come away with all kinds of anti-Arab uh, stuff. And, and, and you just really can't. You really can't do that from the text. I mean, you know, people will always find a reason to hate. You know, whoever, anybody that's different. People will always find a reason to hate. Don't try to subscribe or prescribe that to the Bible because the Bible never teaches that. The Bible doesn't teach jihad. The Bible teaches love and forgiveness. Big difference. Huge difference. All right. Later on, another 10 or so years, round figures. Uh, we won't go there now, but Sarah, Sarah, Sarah becomes Sarah. She eventually has as a son uh, a miraculous. She's past her child. And granted, she's 90-some years old. The, the, the whole aging thing was a lot different. Calendars have been changed so many different ways. Um, but whatever, however old she was in our years, she was past the time of life. She was past menopause. She was past the time of life when she could have babies. And God miraculously gave her Isaac. She had Isaac, and Abram was in his 90s. And uh, Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of the 12 brothers who became the 12 tribes of Israel, and so forth and so on. So they, she did become, as God had promised, way back in Genesis chapter 12, she and Abram became, the, uh, her, their, their child became the father of a great nation, the Jewish nation, Jewish people. Um, who would give us Jesus? So what do we learn from all this? You say, boy, that's a lot of heavy-duty stuff, Rich. What do we got going on here? We're not always this heavy, guys. Sometimes we're a little more light than this, just want you to know that. Get Indiana people here, though, and I've got I to be a little deeper. Um, um, principles of faith from a story that lacked both, okay? Just give me some principles of faith. What are some principles here? Let's just talk about that. Just real quick, real simple. Number one, in life, we can't see the whole picture. God does. God saw the whole thing. Sarah and Abram went through a whole time there when they were like, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. I don't care what, and, and you know, they even, had, they even had a promise from God. We often don't always have a, a direct promise from God. It's just, you know, God called us to live a life of faith. In our, in our this week email this, this past week, I, sent, I, I quoted Voltaire, which I think is a great quote. Faith consists in believing when it's beyond the power of reason to believe. Faith consists in believing when it's beyond the power of reason to believe. That's what faith is. You try to figure it out, and you try to logic, get all the logic down. You know what? There's still that moment when you just sort of take that step. And there you go. 
A second principle, things don't have to be lined up just right in order for God to do His deal. Sometimes we think that. Maybe you've been praying for, for, for a long time for something that you know that God would want you to have. Maybe that's a good marriage. Maybe that's for a, a, a kid that's just gone his own way and kind of screwed up. Or for a parent or for your parents. Maybe that's for your job or for a career, for the right career move. Maybe that's for security of some kind. Maybe you've been praying for a long time and it hasn't happened that, listen, things don't have to be lined up just right for God to do his deal. He'll still do his deal. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have faith. But God will still do his deal. Um, Third thing, and this is an important issue, God is not a vending machine, you know? God is not a vending machine and sometimes we, 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 we treat him like that. Okay, money in, something comes out. Prayer's in, eh. And I, you know, as a pastor, and I've been a pastor a long time, and, and I've had people, I've been praying for this for 20 years, and it hasn't happened. Why hasn't it happened, Pastor? I'm like, who do, you think you, well, who do you think I am? You know? Sorry, I almost said something I shouldn't have said there. Yeah. In the Indiana, Indiana crowd couldn't have handled that. But um, um, I, you know, who, I don't know the answer to that. Only God knows the answer. And sometimes you pray for a long time. And sometimes it might happen a different way. Sometimes it might happen the way you've been praying for it. Sometimes it might happen at all. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray. But you know, God is not a vending machine. You've got to kind of think through that. And some of this business, some people say, well, if you just have enough faith. Well, I mean, do I have to bite my lip and hold my tongue the right way? Is that, is that how? You just got to have enough faith. You know, sometimes God did, has done miracles when no one had any faith. Jesus healed some people who were more surprised than anybody. One of the lepers, he just said, be healed. And it was like, oh, he had no faith. God chose to do that. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't believe in that. But, you know, God, God is not a vending machine. A fourth thing, just because some of your hopes and dreams haven't been fulfilled yet doesn't mean they won't be. You know, dreams and, and hopes deferred doesn't mean that they're not going to happen. And that's an important issue to think through. That's an important lesson. You know, that's an important lesson for you guys that are here that are young to learn. Because sometimes you really have all this stuff going on, and you start out young, and, and, and you start having all this faith, and, and, you know, and then it doesn't happen, and you start trying to do some other stuff. You know, just because it hasn't happened the way you wanted to or hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. For Sarai and Abram, it was, it was, it was oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 years. I mean, that's a long time. So hang on to that. Don't start trying to manipulate circumstances and manipulate that or manipulate that. Just sometimes it's just a matter of faith. You still just have to believe and trust. Last thing I want to show you, my favorite thing. There's this chapter in the Bible. Some of you heard me talk about it before. There's this chapter in the Bible. It's in the book of Hebrews, New Testament. Um, and and is this chapter, we kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a cheesy title. We call it the Faith Hall of Fame. Okay, and the reason, that I learned that in school at least, and the reason they call it the Faith Hall of Fame is because it's Hebrews chapter 11, and it lists many of the Old Testament saints and what they accomplished through their faith. And it's a great chapter to read. It's a very encouraging chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. Go home and read it. And it just talks about the person, you know, Noah did this by faith. Moses did this by faith. It's just a really encouraging thing. It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. Well, now keep in mind, we're, we're looking at two people here who did some pretty bad things. They're pretty immoral. 
I mean, granted, it was the custom of the day. That doesn't, doesn't make it any less immoral. Just like if you'd lived 150 years ago. You may have owned slaves. That doesn't make it okay, even though the society says it's okay. And the same thing was going on here. So, so they, did, they did some things that were not very good. But I want you to look at this because here it is in Hebrews chapter 11. Look who we find in verses 8, beginning in verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It took faith. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in a tent. And so did Jacob. Isaac and Jacob, to whom God gave the same promise. Abraham did this because he was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that Sarah, together with Abraham, was able to have a child even though they were too old and Sarah was barren. It left out something, didn't it? It left out. They had some long, dark nights. And they did some wrong stuff. Doesn't even, doesn't even mention that. It just talks about the faith that they had. I love this passage. I love this. And he goes on. So a whole nation came from this one man, Abraham, who was too old to have any children. Nation that's so, with so many people that like the stars of the sky, sand of the seashore, there's, there's no way to count them. Here's what I want you to see. This is, this is, this is your take-home point, Okay. And I love this. This is as much for me as it is for you. God uses and blesses imperfect people. I just love that. So much so that when he inspires somebody to recount the adventures or misadventures of Abraham and Sarah, he doesn't even include the bad part. Why? Because God loves you. And he understands, he forgives. doesn't mean that it's okay doesn't mean that we just live capriciously and, and, and in some antinomian type of fashion. doesn't mean that we live like that. We still try to do the best we can. We still try to, to make the right decisions. But aren't you glad that God still blesses imperfect people? I'm one. And you are. Aren't you glad I don't have to be one of those people who... You know, I don't, for God to bless me, I don't have to be one of those people who never eat too much or who never drink too much or who never cuss too much, you know, whatever. Not that any of that's okay. But I don't have to be perfect for God to bless me. And that's one of the things that, that Abram and Sarah, just, that, that their life just screams at us at that particular, that particular truth. It, there's hope. There's hope um, for those of us who are imperfect people. I just want to thank God for that. And I'm going to get the guys to come on up and, and, and the band. But I just want to thank God for that. Just pray and thank God for that and, and uh, what he's doing and can do in our lives. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you for how you have and continue to bless us in so many ways. In spite of, in spite of ourselves. In spite of our imperfections in spite of some of the things that we do that we just shouldn't be a part of. Help us to think through it. Help us to do our best to think through it, to make the right decisions. But God, we thank you that when we don't, we still can find grace and forgiveness in you. We thank you for Jesus.
who came and lived and suffered and died, rose again to give us the ability to have a relationship with you by having faith in him. We thank you for that, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.